You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Thank you. It is, uh, it's so good to be with you. Uh, like Dean said, my name is JT. I'm the pastor uh, at Storyline Church in Arvada, Colorado. But I got to tell you, it's really a sweet joy and privilege to be here with you. There's few churches uh, in the country that I get to go to uh, where my friend is pastoring and of which I know the story. And I want you to know that this is a beloved church to me. Your pastor and his family are beloved to me as well. But to get to see this, like if you're newer to the to, to City Church, you, you might not know the story of what God has done here. To, to go from a little church plant in a living room to now this, it's just a, it's a reminder to me that God is alive. Jesus is resurrected. He is building his church, and he's doing it all across the world. So it's really a joy for me to get to be here. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today, if you have a copy of God's Word. But before, before I read where the text that we're going to be in, Romans chapter 6, I want to ask you a question. What core assumption in your life that if taken out, would the rest of your life fall apart? Think of like a Jenga puzzle, like you know that one Jenga piece, like the, the, the big block of bricks, and if you took it out, everything else would just crumble and collapse. Maybe for you it's uh, education. Education is the silver bullet of my life. Maybe you're an educator yourself, or perhaps uh, you're pursuing education, and if you were to pull out that education, it would feel like everything else doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe it's long-term investing. You know, my grandpa, when I was a kid, said, you know, JT, get in the stock market as quick as you can and just hold it for as long as you can. He always used to call me. He's since passed away. Whenever, whenever there was like a recession, he was like, JT, stocks are on sale. Go buy. Maybe it's the simple idea, hard work pays off. If I work hard, if I kind of pick myself up by my bootstraps, then, then I'm going and I'm basically promised that I'll live a, a good and healthy life. Maybe you're a parent. I'm a parent of two kiddos, Thomas and Bailey, six and four, and they are like the delight of my life. I, I feel like every season becomes my new favorite season. And, and, and maybe you're, like, you're living in this story that if I invest my life into my kids, then I'm living the good life. Maybe it's the idea of progress, just kind of things continually getting better and better and better. In Colorado, one of the main assumptions that most people live there is we're kind of, we kind of live there to live the, the good life. You thought I was going to say the high life. I didn't say it. The good life. You know, we, we live the good life. It's just, we're there to, we get to be outside all the time and hike and ski and it's just a, just a, we're, th- we're there to live the good life. What core assumption have you made about the world that if not true, if pulled out with the rest of your life, cease to make sense. I think Paul's going to help us think about that from a Christian perspective this morning. So far in Romans, what he's done, if maybe you're unfamiliar with that, with that book, is, is he's telling the church in Rome about who Jesus is and what he's done. In chapter one, he, he talks about how God has created everything and that every single human being has, has sinned and fallen away from God. We've taken things that God created to be good and we've made them ultimate things. We've, we've taken his created order, things like people and our jobs and his creation and, and made the, the, the creation God itself. And he says in chapter two and chapter three, both Jews and Gentiles do this. Therefore, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in Romans chapter 4, he talks really simply about what does it mean to be a, a person of faith? How do, we, how do we have a right relationship with God? And he points us to this Old Testament, St. Abraham, and he says, Abraham is the man who did not receive righteousness because of works, but because of faith. And he doubles down in chapter 5 where he says, basically, there's only two humans who've ever lived, Adam and Christ, and you're in one of these two people. 
you either are going to receive the judgment of Adam or the resurrection of Jesus. And this is such good news that he gets to chapter 6, and you might be thinking to yourself, I love Paul, he always, he always knows what, what question we would ask if we were sitting there in the church of Rome. He says, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? By no means, because how could we who have died to sin continue to live in it? He points to, to baptism as this idea of dying to our old selves and raising to walk in new life. And that's where we pick up in today's text. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Rome. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And it's kind of concluding point in verse 11, so you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's three basic truths that I want us to think through. We were think back, thinking back to that question of what core assumptions are we making? Really today we get to look at, at the core of, of Paul's gospel message here in Romans chapter 6. But, but the first thing I want you to see is, is that in the gospel we have been united in Christ's death. United in death. Look, look back at verse, verses 5. In chapter 6, for if we, that is the church, Christians, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, for if we, the church, and individual Christians, have been united with him in a death like his. I want to stop right there because you can't miss this point in Paul. Paul, this is such a foundational idea for Paul's understanding of what Jesus has accomplished. This idea of united with him. The, The Greek term there means like to be associated in the closest possible way, to be tied together in. The, what I, the, the language or the picture that comes to my mind when I think about union in Paul's theology is almost like this idea of a welder, two metals coming together that can now no longer even be distinguished. They've been so forged, so put together that two pieces of metal now look like one piece of metal. That's what Paul is saying. If you are in Christ, you have been united with him inseparably for the rest of your life, the same way two metals would be forged together if you've been united with him. And and I want to just pause here for a second because I know that most of us in this room at least have a basic understanding of the gospel, things like we are loved by God. Maybe you don't live that and believe that, but you know that part of the core messages of Christianity is God loves us. You would know that part of Christianity is that we have been forgiven by God. That's a a core message of the gospel. We've been accepted by him, made righteous. This is the idea of of, of Jesus' righteousness being given to us, that our unrighteousness is nailed to the cross and the righteousness of Christ is given to us, that we are made holy by God, sanctified. 
adopted as sons and daughters. We who were once orphaned have been brought into the family of God through the work of Christ. Now, all of that is absolutely true and and wonderfully good news. But I would argue that the more foundational truth in the gospel is what we're looking at right here. You are in him. United with him the way two metals are forged together. So one of the main themes that if you read Paul that you're going to see over and over and over again, I would encourage you when you're reading your Bible, he uses this term in Christ all over the place. It's one of the most foundational ideas for Paul, which means if you have believed the gospel of Jesus, or perhaps if you haven't, you can be united with Christ the way two metals have been forged together, which means you aren't just loved by God. You are loved by God because you are inseparably in Jesus. You aren't just forgiven by God, but you're forgiven because you have been inseparably placed inside the Son of God. You're not just accepted by him, you're in him. You are in Jesus. So so Paul is using this idea at the beginning of this passage that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're united, tied together, forged into a relationship with Jesus inseparably forever. That's why he goes on in verse 6 to say this. So we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free for sin. So, so let me just simplify this for a second. What Paul is saying is that the most foundational core message of Christianity isn't just about forgiveness. It isn't just about love. It isn't just about imputed righteousness. All of those things are true because the more core foundational truth of the gospel is that if you have placed your faith in Christ, then you are in him inseparably, which means our old selves have died. They have been crucified. Paul says that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified. This is exactly what he says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Think about this language here. It is therefore no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. What's that word there? In me. This union, inseparably tied together with Jesus forever. But one thing I want us to, to realize today is, and Anthony, I know that you know this, the message that I'm offering to you today and asking you to consider for your life is not a message that is, is common in our culture. As a matter of fact, the, the, the overarching cultural narrative that, that we imbibe through everything, social media, news, families, friends, like the, the, the major idea of the Western world today is not found in we should deny ourselves, we should submit ourselves. What what is it found in? It's found in self-expression. It's not that we should die to self, but we should truly live to self. The overwhelming message that we hear today is that the height of human existence, like why you live, is to express yourself. Maybe you'll hear it in language like this. You should live out your truth. You should be authentic in this world in the deepest possible way. Self-identity is the gospel of this world. Find yourself, be yourself, do yourself. 
So, I mean, here's just a few examples that, that, that I think we can see this in. So, like, you guys are familiar with some of the conversations right now around, around gender ideology and, and what it means to be a male or a female or a man or a woman. And one of the reasons that all of us are so confused about some of these things is because we're, we've been told a message that there's something in here could be opposite to my actual physiology and body and biology that I have to get out there because there is a core idea, core truth, something about me that might not correspond to God's created order, but it's a self-expressed truth that is fundamentally real. Does that make sense? You can find it in sexual identity and, and desires, but something that might hit a little bit closer to home for us, the, the exact same idea is found in things like no-fault divorce. Maybe you've heard, well, they just don't make me happy anymore. They just don't satisfy my desires anymore. Now, now in no way, am I meant to, I'm not trying to bring any shame to anybody who's participating in these things. I'm just saying, in our culture, we're living in a common understanding of the height of human existence is for me to express what's in here despite what it means for out there. Does that make sense? So, what does that mean for what Paul is telling us today? As a, as a matter of fact, I, was, I got to go on a vacation a few weeks ago. I didn't know I was going to get to go on it. I tore my bicep a few months ago. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get to go on this sweet vacation. My family, were, we got to go down to the beach, and we were there with my kids, and my, my, my son, Thomas, he's six, was listening to a woman on the phone right next to us, and she was talking about curating her online platform. And he said, Dad, like, what, what is this? And I said, well, son, there's a lot of people who live for this basic idea of, like, putting a self out there that isn't, doesn't correspond to the reality that they're actually living. I told them the height of human existence is really found in, in self-expression. You know, this isn't something that's new. We can tend to think this is a brand new idea, but this has been true since Genesis chapter 3. If you know the story of the Bible, humans have been expressing the internal desires of sin that don't correspond with God's world ever since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God's law and against God's word. I think of Jesus' disciples. Again, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that Jesus comes, he's incarnate, and he, he's, he's the word in flesh, and he starts calling disciples to himself. And there's this really famous story with Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, he takes his disciples to kind of this pagan place called Caesarea Philippi where there's lots of gods that are worshipped in this place. And, and he looks at his disciples, and again, even if you're just familiar with cultural Christianity, you probably remember this story. He looks at his disciples and he says, hey, who, do, who are people saying that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say a prophet. And then he says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, well, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And this is one of the most, so you, you've, you've, again, if you've been a Christian or, or a part of kind of the church world, you've probably heard a message like that. And the preacher will typically say one of the most important things or the most important question you ever answer is, who is Jesus? And that's not untrue, but I want to I point us to the rest of the text there. Jesus is not satisfied with Peter simply saying who Jesus is. He also wants Peter to know what Jesus came to do and what that means for Peter's life. Because Jesus says immediately afterwards, so therefore I must suffer and die and go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And you know what, what Peter says? Far be it from you, Lord, because kings don't die on crosses, they reign from thrones. You ever been in that situation where you rebuke Jesus? That's thin ice, right? 
you just like you just think it in your head, Peter. You don't need to say the quiet part out loud. He says, uh, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I must suffer, die, and be crucified. And he says, if anybody wants to come after me, it's not just enough that you know who I am, but what I came to do. You have to pick up your cross also and follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What you see here is that here in what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6 corresponds perfectly to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. You must die to yourself. Don't miss this. The gospel of this world is self-expression. The gospel of the Bible is self-denial. The world says, and what you're being told every single day, the world is saying, come to me and live. But we all die. Jesus says, come to me and die so that you can live. The world says the problem is out there and the solution is in here. Jesus says the problem is in here and the solution is out there, me and what I have come to accomplish. So again, I want to highlight what Paul is saying here. He's saying very simply, you have to die to your old self. This old self dies when you're united to Christ. We're united with him in his death. So my, my first question for you is this. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian, and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. What Paul says is there's still a, a daily act of crucifixion. Jesus dies once and for all, but we are continually reminded that if we have placed our faith in him, we have to die to this body of sin. My, question, my first question for you is, what do you need to die to today? Maybe there's ongoing sin in your life. Maybe there's, there's this sense of, Habitual sin that you, maybe the person sitting next to you, your closest friend, doesn't even know about. And you are white-knuckling yourself through this thing. You're, you're just trying to do the best you can to, to move to the next day, to get for you're, you're living in a, in a pick-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps Christianity. What do you need to die to today? Second thing I want you to see in this text is that not only have we been united in Christ in his death, the good news of the gospel is found here. We've also been united in his life. Again, if we look at the end of verse 5, he says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, the second part of that good news message is, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is what we celebrate as Christians, not just next week at Good Friday and Easter, but do you realize Jesus is alive today too? Jesus isn't just alive at Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day in our lives. So there's a, a continual denial of self, a crucifixion of self that says, Jesus, I want to die to my old self, which happens once when we believe, but in practice happens every single day. But also, we get to be united with him in a resurrection like his. If I was, if I was given one message for Christians, it would be this, that we often believe a half gospel. And what I mean by that is, is our gospel presentations stop when we talk about the death of Jesus, and we never get to the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul tells the church in Corinth that if, it, if the message is simply, Jesus came to die for your sins and did not raise from the dead, then he says, we of all people should be pitied, and we are still in our sins. 
the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus went into the tomb, but that he got up out of the tomb. Amen? That he lives before the presence of God on our behalf, which means that we get to live before the presence of God. Death has been defeated and Christ reigns supreme. And he continues here in verse 8. So if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Paul's reminding us of of this idea of union. If you're in him, you've gone into the grave. And if you're in him, you've gotten up out of the grave. So I I hate to bring this up because I I don't have any good college football examples from Colorado because we don't really play college football there very often. I did grow up a a CSU fan and a Nebraska fan. But so if you might, you might remember the Charlie Ward days. I was a big Tommy, Tommy Frazier fan. I've actually got, I've got some Husker paraphernalia in my office, but I, I, in Texas, they also play pretty good college football down there. And I hate to bring up your former coach's new employer, but it's a good example. So I have to, um, so I, I lived in Dallas for a long time, and I went down to College Station. Uh, they have a college ministry there called Breakaway. And so I was there, and, and this is the, I, can, I can safely say this before Jimbo was there. And so uh, Kevin Selman was a coach, and Alabama was in town to play Texas A&M. This is right after A&M had, had kind of gotten into the SEC. And I'm down there on a, on a Friday night. I wasn't there for the game at all. I didn't have a ticket. I didn't have credentials. I was, I was preaching on Friday night, and my former pastor, Matt Chandler, was there for the game, and so he texts me Saturday morning and says, "Hey, we're at we're at a uh, like a tailgate. Do you want to come hang out and just hang out before the game?" And then my 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 wife was there, my kids were there, and uh, just you, you, we don't have a ticket for you, but just come hang out, eat some good food, and then we're all going to go to the game, and you can go watch the game at home. I was like, "Sure, that's great." So we show up, and we're just kind of hanging out. It's a kind of a smaller uh, you know group of people, maybe 10, 15 people, and there's this guy who walks over to me, and if you you've been in a situation like this before, you know. Like, he grabs me by the shoulders, and I immediately realize I am no longer in control of my life. Anybody else have a moment like that? Like, this man is authoritative. And he just grabs me by the shoulders, and he says, uh, hey, do you, do you want to go down onto the field to watch warm-ups? And I'm like, yes. Like, yeah, of course. Uh, but I was like, I don't have a ticket. Like, I they all have these field passes. They've got all the credentials. I've got nothing. And he's like, don't worry. You're, you're with me. Come on, let's go. So we're walking down, and we get up to the gate, and it's about two hours before the game's about to start, and, and I'm just getting increasingly nervous. Like, I have, like, this internal self-dialogue about what is right and what is just and what is good. Like, even when I'm walking headlong in sin, like, I've got this internal dialogue. I'm like, I know this isn't right, and I'm feeling that there. Like, I'm getting increasingly nervous. I'm getting increasingly, like, I'm increasingly feeling like I am out of place. I do not belong here. And we get up to the security guard, and again, I've got nothing. Like, I'm just walking, walking into the stadium by myself. There's, you know, 100,000 people around, and the security guard says, you know, where's your ticket? And he just, again, says, he's with me. And we just walk in. We walk in, and, and then we get onto the field, and music's blasting, and the teams are warming up and playing, and the, I, I, this, I'm not making any of this up. Sometimes I tell a story, and I need my wife to be here, because it's like, did this really happen? It did. Uh, like, Nick Saban, like, runs right in front of me, and, and like, we're, like, we're, like, all just right there watching the game, and um, we then, he's like, this is not a joke. He then says to me, do you want to run out onto the field with the team? I'm like, yeah, I do. I also don't want to go to jail. Like, how are we, like, what is the arrangement here, you know? He's like, no, oh, no, no, it's fine, you're with me. 
So we go back, and we're kind of by the locker room, and, and I, I just, again, I'm standing right here, and like the Texas A&M football team is right behind me, and the Alabama football team comes out, and they run onto the field first. Like, there's Nick Saban, and out. They won the national championship that year. And then, and then he's like, okay, let's let the team go. And so Texas A&M runs past us, and Matt Chandler and I are running onto the field together, like taking selfies, you know, with, and then like, there's evidence now. Like, I, I should not be doing this. And we, we run onto the field with the team, and then, and then the game starts. And I realized they're checking tickets on the way out of, like, you can't be on the field without something. And so they all have tickets. And again, this guy just says, JT, you're with me. Maybe you've been in a situation before where you didn't have the credentials to be somewhere where you got to be. This is a picture of the good news of the gospel. You do not have the right credentials for Christianity. The only credentials that we have and the only credentials we bring to the cross of Christ is our sinfulness. You don't have the credentials for eternal life, but Jesus says of you, if you are in him, he's with me. She is with me. You do not have the credentials to defeat your own sin. But Jesus says, she's with me. He's with me. Listen to me, friends. You do not have a ticket to the kingdom of God, but Jesus says, she is with me. He's with me. Let them in. You don't have a ticket to the resurrection of the dead. You will be in a grave someday, and Jesus will come back in all of his glory and power and will say over your grave, she's with me. He's with me. Get up, much like he said to his friend Lazarus, the one who has defeated death offers you the credentials to defeat death. The ultimate Christian hope is not found in death, but it's found in the good news that we will live forever with Jesus because he is alive. So let me ask you this question. How would your life change definitively, definitively, if it was proven that Jesus had not risen from the dead? How would your life change? If we, if we just got to go to Jerusalem right now and we opened up a tomb and it's clear, this is the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. He's still dead. It was a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a real resurrection. They just kind of made this stuff up the way the Romans said. Is the resurrection of Jesus the very foundation of your life? Being in the one who has defeated Satan, sin, and death. What core assumption have you made that if not true, would the entirety of your life change is, is education your silver bullet, or long-term investing, or hard work pays off, or parenting and investing in kids, or is it that Jesus got up out of the grave? Don't miss this. Christians are invited to live resilient lives because we will be resurrected in the next. Christians are invited to live resilient lives because we will be resurrected in the next. If all of your hope is in this world, then we should be fragile and pitied. But if all of our hope is in the next, we will live forever. Maybe you're living, maybe you're living life right now anxious, depressed, sad. Maybe you feel like your life is fragile and you're not really sure what's going to happen to you next week. Maybe there's a situation in your work environment right now that, that is really, or maybe you've experienced it before, that kind of throws your life for a loop. Friends, I know my, my wife has, has walked through a, a very uh, sick time. Maybe you got a diagnosis this week or recently that you're walking through. It's cancer. It's dementia. Here's the thing. If you haven't gotten a diagnosis like that yet, 
you will. Good news, welcome to church, everybody. You know, like, it's just life. You will get it, your spouse will get it, your friend will get it, your roommate will get it. You'll wake up to that text of a friend passing away unexpectedly. All of those things are a part of the broken and dark world that we live in. But I want you to, I want you to think about this. What can happen to you in this life that a good resurrection can't fix? What can happen to you in this life that getting up out of the grave can't restore? Are you anxious? Are you sick? Are you fighting addiction? Are you fighting workaholism or trauma or suffering or grief? All of that is real. I walk through those things. My church walks through those things. But resurrection defeats anxiety a hundred times out of a hundred. Resurrection defeats cancer and sexual sin and addiction and war and trauma and grief. Resurrection defeats death. So what can happen to you in this life that resurrection can't fix? What in this world can defeat a man who has defeated the grave and says to you, he's with me, she is with me. So we're united to Christ in death. We die to ourselves. We deny ourselves. Our old selves are dead and the body of sin has been brought to nothing and our new selves have been united with Christ in life, which means some really practical things for our life. It means that we are dead to sin and alive to God. That's my third idea that I want you to see. We're dead to sin and alive to God. Look at verse 11. It says this. So, he gets to his concluding point. So, you also maybe should might consider, is that what Paul says? He uses really definitive language here. You must, you must, you must do what? You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. These are the two of the most important application points for the Christian life, those of us who've given ourselves over to the gospel. It is a daily reminder that the sinfulness that still resides in our life, we must consider ourselves dead to it and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's getting unbelievably practical here at the end of his message. He says these two truths about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ mean something for you. Die to your sin and live to God. One theologian says it this way. He says, be what you are and are becoming. Because here's the reality. You might be asking yourself this question. Okay, JT, like I'm with you on the idea, but like isn't the truth of the gospel that my sin has been defeated? Absolutely. But does anybody in here still struggle with sin? If you don't raise your hand, you are breaking a commandment of God and you are lying. Right? Like we all still are walking through these the challenge. Like, yes, we're dead to sin. Christ has defeated it. His righteousness has been given to you. But our old selves that supposedly have died, don't they kind of come back to life each morning? Like, mine does. My old self that I died to, I came to, I came to know the Lord my freshman year at Colorado State University. A sophomore, a part of Campus Crusade, sat down and shared the four spiritual laws with me. Like he literally, this is not a joke. He sat down and he said, I'm supposed to read this with you. And in the most uncompelling presentation in the history of Christianity, he presented to just read the four spiritual laws to me. You, God has created you, you're a sinner, Jesus has died for you, and you can have everlasting life in him. And I, I, God saved me, which goes to show gospel presentations don't save people, God saves people. We share the gospel indiscriminately knowing that it is God that gives new life to people. And I remember sitting in the student center, I went back there a few months ago and took a picture of the booth that I was sitting in. I was eating a Whopper for heaven's sakes. 
and God saved me. And I thought to myself, oh, great. I don't have to deal with sin anymore. He just said my sin was defeated. And you know what happened the next morning? I was still struggling with sin. And I know that's true for you too. I know it's true for my church. And so there is a sense, and here's what I want you to see. The, the gospel has three really clear applicational truths for us here. That as we think about considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, I want you to see these three truths. First, the, the good news of the gospel is that you have been freed from sin's penalty. You have been freed from sin's penalty. Like the penalty, the wages of sin is death. You now know that you get to live with God forever. The, the penalty of sin now no longer has any, any claim on you. Our sins speak a powerful word, but the blood of Jesus speaks a more powerful word. Amen? And so you have been freed. Let go. Free at last from sin's penalty. But one of the things that Paul is inviting us to consider here is that we are continually being freed from sin's power. The good news of the gospel is not just that we have been justified, but that we are also being sanctified. Not just that we have been freed from sin's penalty, but we now are invited to walk in holiness. So what do you need to consider yourself dead to? I want to invite you today to ask God's Holy Spirit, his presence among you and among this church, to allow you to experience power over the sin that you're struggling with. Because maybe you've just resigned yourself. You've just resigned yourself. Like, I'm a Christian. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. I've tried to pick this weed up out of my life a hundred times. And JT, it just hasn't happened. Every time I pick it up, either a new one pops up or it comes right back. But, but what if, what if you're here today to simply hear the message, consider yourself dead to that sin? Pull it out again. God, the Holy Spirit, would you help me sanctify my life? Would you, would you help me finally get a little victory over this thing that has just been eating my lunch? Friend, you have been freed from sin's penalty, but you can also be freed from sin's power. And Here's the good news. As we think about being alive to God in Christ, one day we will be freed from sin's presence forever. You've been freed from sin's penalty. You're being freed from sin's power, and you will be freed from sin's presence. Maybe, maybe you're walking through a season right now where it's not your sin that's eating your lunch. It's somebody else's. Maybe you've been sinned against. You have been sinned against. I've been sinned against. What Paul is inviting you into this morning is to consider yourself dead to sin, but also alive to God in Christ Jesus. Second question is this, what do you need to vivify or give life to? The way, the way my old pastor used to talk about this is he would talk about how if sin is in your life, like it, it starts out as like a, a baby tiger cub, you know, and it kind of, like, it, you know, sins can feel like cute at times, like, oh, that little sin over there, I can just kind of pet it and and feed it a little bit, and, you know, kind of, but what happens to tiger cubs? They become tigers, you know? Like, if you feed this thing, it grows up and devours you. What sin are you feeding like a little tiger cub that you need to say, I'm dead to, so that I can live to God in Christ Jesus? So rather than feeding that sin, how do you feed walking with God on a daily basis? Maybe it's, you need to plug back into church. Maybe it's, you need to be going to your group. Maybe it's there's a relationship in your life that you have been resenting this person. They don't even know it. You need to call them today and, and give, give forgiveness life again in your world. 
Maybe, like I said, it's some addiction, and it's anxiety, it's, it's trauma, it's grief, which are all real things. How do you bring to life faith? How do you bring to life walking every single moment in the presence of God and with Jesus? So I, w- I want to start, or end how I started. What foundational truth that if taken out of your life, would your life cease to make sense? We've said maybe it's education or long-term investing or hard work pays off or parents investing in kids. The the idea that I want you to think about this week leading into Good Friday and Easter is this. What if definitively people could look at my life and know that Jesus rose from the dead? What if my life would only cease to make sense if Jesus was dead, but if he's alive, my life makes perfect sense because I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that it brings life, that not only have you written this word to us in in inspired fashion, but it also illuminates us. Your Holy Spirit still works through it as we sing it, as we preach it, as we pray it. It brings life. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I just believe that this morning there are men and women who are fighting sin. Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring life to them. Pour out your Holy Spirit on their lives. May they die to this thing they're walking in because Jesus died for that sin. Would you give them power that is not theirs, but is power from above? I also pray for brothers and sisters in this room who who really desire to bring fruit in their life. Would you do it through the work of your Holy Spirit? Would you remind us that this isn't up to our hard work and white knuckling and picking ourselves up by the bootstraps. The only way this message can be true is if Jesus is alive. Help this church and these brothers and sisters to be walking images of Jesus. Again, not because of what they've done, but because of what he has accomplished for them. Would you remind them that the The penalty of sin has been paid. The power of sin is being broken. And one day the presence of sin will be gone forever. Would you help us live to God in Christ Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.